Okay, so again, we are uh, in week two of our summer series of, of Not Just Another Story. We finished off 20 weeks of going through Romans. We'll pick up Romans again in the fall, uh, but we're going to do something a little bit different in the summer, and it's called Not Just Another Story. If you weren't here last week, it's okay. None of this really is going to be meshed together. We're not going through a book of the Bible like we normally do in the summer. We're going to do things a little bit differently, uh, and so we're going to be looking uh, specifically at Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. But before we get there, this is a, a picture of, uh, of a theater called Rhoda Haver Auditorium. Okay, this is when I was a student at, at good old Bob Jones University in South Carolina. Uh, this was their, their big main auditorium. And, and I had the privilege and opportunity and honor to perform in there a number of times, different plays or monologues or whatever. Um, I know that I, sometimes I can, I can kind of bash a lot of the rules that I had growing up. But one really cool thing about uh, the way that I grew up was their emphasis on what's called the fine arts and going to plays and going to music. And, and as someone who was in a lot of theater and did a lot of acting, uh, that you were required every semester to go to six different fine arts things, right? So, so if you were in speech or in a play, you would always want to have your play at the end of the semester when all the slackers knew they had to go to, to the, so you'd, you'd pack these rooms. You'd give a 30-minute monologue, and there'd be 2,000 people standing, you know, sitting there because they had to be there, right? Half of them would be sleeping or studying, but none, nonetheless, it felt really good, right? Um, and that was the thing. Now, and I've talked about a lot of the different rules that I grew up with. You know them, you've heard them, and they're, they're wild, right? You don't believe it. I know you don't believe it, but they're true, I promise. One thing, though, about Bob Jones, which, is, which, which was wild to me, is as a student, you were never allowed to have facial hair, any kind of facial hair. Professors, though, were allowed to grow a mustache. That was okay. Uh, if you were over 23 years old, you were allowed to grow a mustache, okay? But as a normal student, you weren't allowed to grow a beard. I don't know if it's because we were young and couldn't grow a beard and they were just trying to save us the embarrassment of trying to grow a beard. That could be part of it. I don't know. However, when it came to theater, you were allowed to grow a beard or facial hair if you were in a play and your character needed to grow some kind of facial hair. And so what they would do is they would give you a theater pin, and so, you'd, you know, you'd wear your jacket and your tie, and you'd have a little, on your lapel, you'd put a little pin. And so if someone was like, hey, hey, you sinner, you're growing a beard, you could say, no, 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 I'm allowed to. I can break the rules. I have special privileges because I'm in theater, right? Uh, that was just something we did. You were, you're not allowed to, to ever touch somebody of the opposite sex. Don't even think about it. But yet, if you're on stage, man, embrace, hold hands. Dude, you do the fake kiss thing where you kiss your own hand. You'd, you'd do all that stuff. That's okay. You can do that, but our, oh man, no, 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 right? So there was like a special privilege. And so the text that we're going to be looking at today, does Jesus get a special privilege? Does he get to break the rules like he's got some theater pin? Or is there something else that's going on? Is this just another story or is it not just another story? And is there more here to this? Again, Augustine talks about this. What's the, what's the greatest way to read and study our Bible? Context, context, context. Those are the top three ways to, to study our Bible, according to St. Augustine, is look at the context around the passage. So I want to do that. So before we get into Luke chapter 6, I want to go back just, just a couple verses in chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, this is the end of this, and, we'll, and it'll just tie right into our passage because they are very, very closely connected. So Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 33 through 39, says this. And they said to him, these are just people following Jesus. Um, and they say, to, they say to Jesus, John's disciples, John the Baptist, the cousin of, of Jesus, John's disciples often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, these religious leaders. But yours go on eating and drinking. 
And Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? And he uses kind of a ridiculous analogy in the sense of, okay, you're you're at at a wedding. We've all been to a wedding and you've got the bride and the groom sitting there. And imagine if the groom said to all of his groomsmen, hey, you guys aren't gonna eat today. Right? Everyone's going to be feasting. Everyone's going to be having a party, but you guys aren't allowed to eat or drink. You're going you're gonna to fast. And he's saying, that's ridiculous. The groom is here. This is a party. We're celebrating. Verse 35, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And in those days, they will fast. They didn't understand fully what Jesus was talking about, but someday Jesus will be gone. There will be a time for fasting again. And then he continues and he tells them this parable. Verse 36, no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and, and, and the patch from the new will not match the old. He's just saying it's not going to match. They're stretching and everything. You try to put a new patch in an old garment, and it's going to shrink as the time goes on, and you're going to ruin the whole thing. Verse 37, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skin, and the wine will run out, and the wineskin will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins, right? They would use animal skins to, to, to hold their wine. So I've got a, got a little image here, right? So they have your old and your new. So you've got an old animal skin. They'd put new wine into a new wineskin. And so as it would ferment and it would start to grow and expand, that would, the, the skin would expand with it, okay? But so if you tried to take an old wineskin and put new wine in there, you say it's going to burst and you're going to lose both the skin and the wine. It's gone. You wasted it. And what Jesus is doing here is he's setting them up for what is about to happen. And he's saying, you cannot, you cannot take this new way that I am initiating, this new covenant, this new life, and try to force it into the old or the old and the new. You can't take these Old Testament laws and try to force them on us now. When the bride, when the groom is here, something's changing. There's a new order. Everything is about to change. And Jesus is going to say, I'm the one changing it. I'm about to change everything. And so he says, now watch this. And so we get to our passage for this morning. The Lord of the Sabbath, Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Now, let me tell you what this sermon is not. This sermon is not going to be 10 steps on how you can find Sabbath rest in your weekly schedule. It's not what this is. Why? Because it's not in the text. Right? There's nothing in this Bible that says anything on how you should specifically rest. doesn't do it. So what it will be is it will be, how do we see Jesus? How does Jesus rest? How does Jesus encourage us to rest in him? Then there's going to be two different groups of people in here. And I, and I really mean this. I think that we, in, in some way, our heart does this. There's, I think there are those of us in this room who idolize rest in the sense that we long for rest We look forward to this thing. And if only I could just get that thing or I would achieve that thing, then I would, then I could finally relax. I could, I could arrive and I could rest. And I'm I'm at an age where I remember looking back, right? Being single, going, oh man, if I just could get married, I could rest. Well, guess what? I got married and I still couldn't rest. And then I don't know if anybody's ever like, well, if I have kids, I'm going to rest. I don't think anybody's ever, I don't think anybody's ever said that, right? But, But as a parent, you're like, once my kids hit a certain age, then I'll be able to rest. Not true, right? What if I get this job? No, usually you, with a promotion, it becomes more work. It's just how it works. And so, so we idolize this idea of what rest might be, or we turn it into a law, 
right? Just like, you know, we'll talk about this, getting into the, into the Sabbath to say, okay, Sabbath was a thing. It made it, made it in the Big Ten, right? Made it in the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Therefore, that's what we should do. And we idolize it. We make this law out of it. That's not good. The other side of that, which is equally un, as bad, is, is we idolize work, our, our jobs, or, or doing something, or being busy, and we don't ever rest. And that's equally as bad. And so what is the third way? What is the gospel way that Jesus teaches? We're going to look at two different Sabbaths, two different days that Jesus is going to do some wild things. And so this is the first one, Sabbath part one. Starting here in Luke chapter six, reading in verse one, says this. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them on their hands and eat the kernels. And some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Again, if you've been coming to Lower Town for a while, you should be sick of this image, and I understand that. This is, this is Scott Duvall's book, Grasping God's Word. How do we study our Bible? Number one, grasp a text in their town. What did it mean to them? It can only mean one thing to them. It meant Sabbath. It meant rest. rest Sabbath just means rest. Okay, so, so when God says, remember the Sabbath day, he says, take Saturday off and keep it holy. That's what it meant. Then we gauge the width of the river, culture, language, time, situation, covenant. What are we in? Where are we at? What, what's going on? And then we can cross the principalizing bridge, and then we consult the biblical roadmap, point four. And then after all of that work, then we can grasp a text in our town. And only then. The problem is when we hear, especially law, where it says, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. That's what it meant to them. What does it mean to me? It means I need to rest once a week. Good luck. I mean, good luck with that. They, 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 just to try to do that and it becomes law. And then what happens if you don't even live up to your own law? Right? We just talked about that in Romans for a couple of weeks. We can't even live up to our own, own law. So then let's go back to that question. The, the, the Pharisees uh, say, Jesus, you have done something unlawful on the Sabbath. And so at first reading, you might go, it kind of sounds like they're stealing grain from the field. It kind of sounds like they're just walking through a field and they grab some grain and they start eating it. That stealing's bad. We know that. That was bad then, it's bad now. We don't steal. Well, if we go back to Leviticus chapter 23, again, consult the biblical roadmap. That's where we're at. We're going to go back. Is there any other passages of scripture that might shed light on what's happening? Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22 when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. A couple summers ago, two or three years ago, we did the, oh, it's gone. Oh, no, it's not this one. There's an image there of a woman gleaning, right? It's the, the, the gleaners. These were women from First Baptist that got the excess and they gave back to the poor. Okay, that's the principle. A lot of us, I'm assuming, aren't farmers. And if you are a farmer, you don't leave the corners of your field. There's no point of leaving grain corn for someone who can't eat to come by and eat that. You can't even eat that stuff. So the, the law in their town was don't harvest the corners of your field. The principle is care, care for those who don't have. <laughs> Feed the hungry, right? That's, that's the principle that's going on here. And that's what they did when they put the stained glass window in 150, 60 years ago. And it's the same thing that it is now. But that's what's happening, okay? So they're eating, they're allowed. Because when you read through Leviticus, the whole chapter pretty much is about how do we care for the traveler, the foreigner, 
the alien who's walking, those who are hungry, the poor. Let them eat the field. That's what happens. And so then we go back to that passage that we're already in Luke chapter 1, and there's two different times we're going to see that word Sabbath. Okay, so Captain Obvious, it is the Sabbath day. So one Sabbath. Sabbath, again, means rest, and it was on Saturday. On Saturday, historically, that's just the way our calendar works. It would have been what we call Saturday, that they would have had their Sabbath rest, their day of rest. That's Captain Obvious. It was a Sabbath day. Jesus is accused of doing something unlawful. It can't be harvesting in this field. It can't be taking some food because they weren't stealing anything. They were allowed by law to do this. Levitical law, they were allowed to do this. So what in the world is going on? What are they being accused of? Before we can really answer that question, we have to ask the question and try to answer this question of what is the Sabbath day? Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, 1 and 2, we see this phrase in chapter 2 specifically, and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. If you go back to the Genesis creation account, you're going to see in the beginning, God created, and he says, let there be light. And then it says, and there was morning and evening, and that was the first day. For the first six days of creation, you're going to have that phrase. It was morning and evening, and this was the second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. When, G, when God, the creator and Jesus was there, when, when God creates the seventh day and he rests, you don't have that phrase, it was the morning and evening and the seventh day. There's something else going on here. It's not just a, another story. There is a, a dedication and this idea that God is now giving us rest, and he meant it to be eternal rest. He meant that to be from the beginning but we don't, right? We screwed up, there's the fall, and then we have the curse, and now we have to labor and toil with the sweat of our brow to take care of the earth or to, to, to do anything that it's, that it's toilsome. Work was before the fall. God commanded Adam and Eve to work. It's toil now and labor that comes into it. And so now if I ever wanna take a rest, I gotta work twice as hard in order to try to take a day off, right? It's just how, how it works. So something changes. That we have this eternal rest that God initiates all the way back in the creation account and then sin enters the world and now it's a fight. Now it's a fight to Sabbath. Leviticus 23 says this, there are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work and wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. Again, as I mentioned, this makes it into the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And if you read the Old Testament, you're going to see over and over and over this idea of Sabbath and the number seven, seven days of creation, uh, seven days in a week. You're going to have all these different things, the number seven that keeps happening. And on that seventh day is rest, that's Saturday. We're going to see that this in the, in the wilderness when they're eating the manna, God provides, what is it? It provides this weird cakey stuff that they go out and they collect, and God says, I want you to pick up on Friday a double portion because you're not allowed to go and get that on Saturday. It's a day of rest, and that was that. They were, they were told to rest the land every seven years, and every seventh of the seven years, uh, seven times seven, I know that's 35? 49, oh, so close. Sixth grade was a long time ago. Uh, 49, right, every 49 years was called the year of jubilee. Right there, they would do this huge emancipation. Anyone who had debt, right? If you were in, in debtor's prison or if you were paying off, you were working as a debtor and to somebody, uh, whatever it may be, you owed someone money, someone else owned your family's plot of land. 
all done. Year of Jubilee, everything's back to normal. Right? This is what would happen. These, so these idea of sevens happen all the time. So then the question which naturally comes up is, should we Sabbath? Should we look at this idea of taking a day off every single week the way that the Jews would have? And I think that this can play out a few different ways in our town, right? If we try to go from Old Testament law, what did it mean to them? And now let's try to apply it to us in our town. We run into a couple of problems. The one that we can do a one for one and say, yes, we should have a day off every single week. Now for the Jews, they would be Friday night because the sun would go down and they didn't have sunlight. They didn't have electricity. They had sunlight like we have. <laughs> the sun would go down. They didn't have electricity the way that we have it, right? And so they, they, that was when it would start and then it would go up until then Saturday night when they could, they could then break their Sabbath and they could then eat again or whatever it may be. They could always eat, but eat different foods and cook and, and work and clean and all that stuff. Okay, so we can do a one-for-one one and say there needs to be a 24-hour period of time where I do absolutely nothing. And, and I think about that and I go, I, I don't think just even culturally as an American. I mean, I don't know how you could ever do that. Right? There was something special that God, he's trying to get a point across. And so what's the point? Now, growing up, uh, that meant we weren't allowed to play sports on Sunday. Right? I, I used to love, I traveled playing football and AAU and, and I played AAU basketball. And as soon as I got old enough to where we had games on Sundays, my dad wouldn't let me do it. Right? Would, nope, Brian, you can't play can't play sports on, Saturday, on Sunday, it's our day of rest, right? Because now we're not, we're not Old Testament Jews, we're New Testament, and now Sunday is our day of rest. And I wish I would have had the know-how and know-all to be like, my dad was a pastor, to be like, Dad, what's your busiest day of the week? Right? What, which day would you say you worked the hardest all week? And he for sure would have said Sunday, right? Like that is my hardest working day of the week. But there was, right, because it was just, what, what's going on? So do, are we to Sabbath? Are we supposed to make a rest on Sunday? Is Sunday a day of rest. The principle, right? When we cross that principalizing bridge, what we need to understand here is that we should rest, that we're not commanded anywhere to burn out. Burnout doesn't help anyone. Burning out doesn't help your kids. It doesn't help your spouse. It doesn't help your work. It doesn't help anything to be burning out. I got to work harder for my job. I got to do this thing. I got to burn the candle at both ends and then you end up crashing and hurting yourself. That doesn't help anybody. And so we need to make sure that we rest. How do we do that? Figure it out. <laughs> Get a Google calendar. Uh, there's, no, there's no prescription that I can give you. I can tell you what's worked for me. You know what I do? Angela and I have a code. Angela likes to go for a walk. She likes to read a book. You know what I do? I go online and I kill Nazis. That's what I do. That's what I do. That is a relaxing, therapeutic thing for me to do. All right? How do you do it? Probably not looks like, probably doesn't look like that. It might. The game's called Hell Let Loose. Phenomenal. How do we do this? I don't know. Because I don't do it well. I fail at this. But what I do know is there's grace in Christ and I need to look to him. So now let's go back to the text. And I want to look at a Pharisee's view of the Sabbath. Who, who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were a religious sect, okay? I'm a Baptist, okay? A Pharisee is not a title, a Pharisee is a sect, okay? Like as I'm a Baptist and there were rabbinical Pharisees, there were Pharisees who were teachers, okay? I'm a Baptist pastor. That's what it, would, that's what it is. But a Pharisee was, it was a sect, a group of people versus the Sadducees and the Zealots. The Pharisees said, we want the Messiah to return. He hasn't returned. We haven't heard a word from God in over 400 years. So we must be doing something wrong. 
We need to get back to the old way of doing things. And they took the Levitical law for the Levites, for the priests, and said, we need to apply that to everybody. And then we're actually going to make it even more intense. We're going to write the Mishnah and the Talmud that's going to make it so we can't break any of those rules. Then you had the Sadducees. The Sadducees said, hey, I know that the Messiah, we want him to come back, but the Romans are here now. And we're supposed to respect the, the government that's, that's over us right now, and that must be the, the Romans. And so they kind of partied and not partied, like, woohoo, maybe they did, but they, they held hands with the Romans. They were, they were appointed in positions uh, in, in government. Those are the Sadducees. And then you had the Zealots. The Zealots were the, we're going to actually move out of Jerusalem. We're going to not live with these Gentile dogs, these Romans. We're going to get out. We're going to be pure and we're going to fight. We're actually going to go and try to assassinate people. It's just these three different sects of Judaism, and they're all kind of competing with each other for power, if you will, spiritual power. And then you've got the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are doing this in a religious, spiritual way to say, we need more rules if we want to see the Messiah. And so uh, the Mishnah, which has been updated, they still use this. This is like an updated, so this is from a website called 39 Categories of Sabbath Work Prohibited by Law. Okay, so they say the law says don't harvest. Now we're going to add other rules that make sure you can do this. This one is reaping, number 16. There's several of these that overlap, but this one's reaping. This includes cutting or plucking any growing thing. Agriculture is, again, one of the many ways which man shows his dominance over nature. Again, we're going back to that question. Uh, uh, what you are doing something unlawful on the Sabbath. What are they doing that's unlawful? This is what they're talking about. This category is therefore also one of those mentioned in the Torah. First five books of the Bible. As we find in Exodus 34, 21. Six days you shall work, but you shall rest in the seventh. In plowing and in harvesting, you shall rest. So he's quoting the Torah. That's what the Torah says. That's what Exodus says. Now let's add to it. Such activities as plucking a flower or plucking a fruit from a tree come under this heading. The same is true of mowing a lawn. Nope, nope, nope. Don't do it. It was also legislated that we do not handle any growing flowers or plants. It is also forbidden to climb a tree or to smell a growing flower. Fruit which falls from a tree in the Sabbath may not be used in the same day. The use of animals as well as plants is forbidden since there is a concern that one might forget and inadvertently pluck a branch and use it as a switch, okay? A lot of laws, a lot of them being added. This was just one of 39 categories of extra biblical laws on how to not work on the Sabbath. So what is it that Jesus is doing? And again, we might look at this and go, that is wild. That's crazy. How, how could, why would, why would anybody do this? We do this to ourselves all the time. We add law to ourselves all the time. Bible says, don't get drunk. Great. I vote yes. Don't get drunk. Therefore, I'm just not even going to look at the stuff. Okay, great. That's fine. I'm going to add this. Okay, then you know what? I'm not even going to go shop at that place that sells alcohol. You see, do you see the one for one that we do when we add law to law? It just doesn't work that way because we will always inevitably find out that we fall short of this. So again, here is this accusatory question. What are you doing? What you are doing? Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read 
what David did when his companions were hungry. He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what was lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And so if you're here last week, I asked the question, what do we do when we don't know the answer to something? We look it up, right? And then I'm not going to do Elmo because apparently I freaked people out last week when I did that. Uh, It's a new law that I have. Don't ever do Elmo ever again. Uh, Apparently it's too good. So uh, there's Elmo. We look it up. Oh, smarty. He pulls out a smartphone. He looks it up, right? Okay. So when you read a passage in the New Testament, Jesus quotes someone. Any of the New Testament authors quote something, look it up. Let's go back. Let's look at the passage in 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6. Here we have David. David is a prominent servant of King Saul. David is not king yet. Saul is king, but David has been anointed to be the next king. And Saul can't stand him. All right. That's kind of what's going on. And there was a battle, there was this fight. And so David went to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? And David answered Ahimelech, the priest, the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. As for my men, I have told him to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand for food? He's starving. He and his men are starving. Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand, right? You have the, the, the tabernacle, the temple, the tabernacle at the time where there would have been, that there was this table of showbread that the, the Levites, again, couldn't harvest. They didn't have fields. And so people would give, according to the law, a tenth of their harvest, and they would give it to the Levites. Levites would make bread, and they would dedicate it to God. He said, I don't have normal bread. I only have bread that's been dedicated to God. You can't eat that bread. Only priests can eat that bread. We can't. You can't double stamp a triple stamp. You can't, you can't do that. I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. And he says, however, there is some consecrated bread here. There is some bread in this table of show bread, provided uh, the men have kept themselves from women. Now, before we go, what? <laughs> women are dirty. That's not what's happening in this text at all, okay? Again, context, context, context. Anytime in the Old Testament, Anytime you have any kind of fluid that was supposed to be in your body, comes out of your body, it's unclean, okay? So vomit, blood, use your imagination. It would make you unclean. So he's saying, if, if, if I'm going to give you this bread, then at least be purely clean, like in the laws of purity in the, by the Levites, okay? And David replies, indeed, women have been kept from us as usual whenever I set out, and the men's bodies are holy even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread since there was no bread except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day that it was taken away. Okay, so now we see David eats this bread. Does David have a little, a little theater pin that says, I can break the law. I can do what I want to do. I'm special, I'm privileged. Is that, is that what's happening here? Or is there something else going on? So now let's go back to Jesus. And Jesus says to him, after telling that story, recounting what what David did, eating this bread, that Jesus said to them, the son of man, which is Jesus' favorite title for himself, a messianic title, the Messiah, the son of man, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He's saying this new wine that I offer will not fit in your old way of doing things. It's not gonna work. And in the same way, David was allowed to eat this consecrated bread right, which was a role of the priest, which was a big no-no. Saul loses his kingship over doing a priestly duty. 
He says, just as David does this and it foreshadows the son of man, foreshadows me, I'm not just gonna give you manna. I'm not just gonna give you this consecrated bread. I am the bread. I am the bread of life. I want you to want me, not some bread. R.C. Sproul tells us this. What is he saying? Who is the Lord of the Sabbath day? Well, who instituted the Sabbath in the first place? It didn't start with Moses on Mount Sinai, nor did it start with Abraham, nor even Noah. It is a law that God established at creation. In biblical theology, the Sabbath law is called a creation ordinance, precisely because it was set down as part of God's law built into the creation. So therefore, since the Sabbath law is a creation mandate, what follows is that a mandate set down by the creator. And who is the Lord of creation but God himself? What is he, excuse me. Uh, And when Jesus tells, tells them he is doing this so that they might know that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, he is claiming nothing less than the authority of the creator of heaven and earth. Can you imagine the response of the Pharisee to that? Jesus says, I, I am the bread. Forget the Sabbath. You want to take, take a day off? You want to rest? Listen, this is for me. I made that. I made that. Don't tell me what I can and can't do on the Sabbath. Does he have, again, does he have a special pin that says I can do whatever I want because I made it? No, he's going right in line with it. And he's saying, I am. I am rest. You want to rest? You want to take a day off? Look to me. You need bread? I am the bread. Let's look at the second Sabbath. I love this. Anytime that it says on another Sabbath, anytime you read about a Sabbath that's going to happen in the New Testament, something crazy is about to go down. On another Sabbath, Jesus is like, if we're going to do something big, it better be on a Sabbath. Like That's when I'm going to start doing some crazy stuff. On another Sabbath, he went to a synagogue and was teaching. So again, remember last week, he looked at a tabernacle into a synagogue, uh, and, and he would have been seated in this middle seat, the bema seat, lifted up. He would have been seated teaching as a rabbi, and everyone would have been around him, okay? So he's teaching. And there was a man whose right hand was shriveled, and the Pharisee and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So Jesus asked this guy to stand up and stand in front of him now as he's seated teaching. So, so he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, saying to the people now, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to destroy it? I can save a life or I can stand there and do nothing. Which one's worse? to do good or to do nothing and therefore do evil, to save a life or to destroy it. And he looked around at them all and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. They're furious, again, because he's claiming to be God, the creator, and he's healing on the Sabbath. They are so ingrained in their law that they don't see the Messiah standing right in front of them. They are doing these laws so the Messiah will come back and here he is standing right in front of them and they don't even see him because they're so immersed in obeying the rules. Here's what Jesus is not teaching here. As long as your heart is in the right place, you can break what God commands, right? We don't get a theater pin here. Oh, no, no, I know you don't see. Listen, listen, Brian, 
I know that we're doing this year-end giving thing. You don't understand. I've got a five-year plan. And if I start giving to the church, it's gonna go, it's gonna, it's gonna get into that plan. You don't understand. We don't get a theater pin. Listen, it's good to have a five-year plan. It's, it's good to follow uh, Dave Ramsey. I always wanna say Gordon Ramsey, two very different people. Dave Ramsey, hey, great, that's good. Financial Peace University, I vote yes, that's great. Cut off your credit cards, I think. That's one of his things, isn't it? I don't know. Ask my wife, I know nothing about money. You, okay, you, that's good. But I can just do what I want though, right? You don't understand, I, I'm special, I'm unique. That law, that rule doesn't apply to me. My heart's in the right place. You wanna, you wanna live with your partner, your spouse, or your, your fiance before you get married? Well, yeah, that doesn't apply to me. You see, I'm, I'm different. We love each other. We are committed. We're going to get married. Yeah, so has everybody else. This law doesn't apply to me. You don't, get a, you don't get a pin. You don't get a special button that says I can break the laws. That's not what Jesus is doing here. What is Jesus teaching? He's saying, I am making all things new for all time. He's reestablishing the creation order of that seventh day of rest that doesn't have a start and an end. It's going on, but then sin comes into the world and crushes everything. And now we have to labor and work and toil and fail and not rest and work hard to rest. All these different things. And I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't rest. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to do that. I am the Sabbath. I made the Sabbath. Matter of fact, last week, one of the passages that we looked at, oh, Luke chapter 4, I copied it from last week. This is Luke 4, not Luke 14. Luke 4, starting in verse 18. He quotes Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to the oppressed to, and, and set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Again, another phrase of that, of that jubilee. The Lord's favor is here. Emancipation, freedom is about to happen through me, he says in the reading of this uh, in the reading of this word, now has been, the prophecy has been fulfilled. This is me. I'm about the year of Jubilee. I am about Sabbath. I am Sabbath. But again, we have to look at this and say, but is Jesus only talking about physical freedom here? The answer is no. Is Jesus talking about physical rest? Is he talking about physical healing? Is he talking about physical freedom? In some ways, Jesus does that, yes. But he doesn't do it for everybody. Not physically, but he does give spiritual rest to everybody. Take, for example, John the Baptist. His cousin is in prison, about to be beheaded by Herod. And he's like, ah, Jesus, are you really the guy? Like, you're my cousin. We're really close. I know I said you were the guy. You were the land that was going to take away the sin of the world. I'm going to send my disciples to you. I got to know, are you the real deal? And John the Baptist's disciples go to Jesus, and you know what Jesus does? He quotes these verses to, to his disciples, and you know what he leaves out? He leaves out the phrase, I will set the oppressed free. He leaves it out. Why? Because it's not about physical restoration and healing. It's about spiritual rest. Going on, continuing. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 or 18 says this, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man, again, his favorite title for himself, the Messiah will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law and they will condemn him to death and they will hand him over to the Gentiles, be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Jesus dies on a Friday. He rests in the grave on Saturday and he raises to new life on Sunday. He's instituting a new covenant in his blood. It's no longer a Sabbath rest. He raises from the dead on a Sunday, which is why historically, traditionally, 
churches have met on Sunday mornings because this is when Jesus rose from the dead. On a weekly basis, we get to rejoice and worship our risen God together. And he's going to make new life, but he's going to make it as new life eternally. Not just this physical one time, I need, a, I need my day of rest. He's saying, no, I want to actually open up the gates to say, rest eternal in me. I want to reestablish what was created, the creation order. I want to give you that never ending rest. And Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says, Jesus says this. Very popular verses, but I think a lot of times, again, we only read half of the text and then we get mad at God because we don't feel rest. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. We stop right there, period. But then he says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find, what kind of rest, Jesus? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We live in what theologians call the already not yet. Jesus has defeated death and hell and the devil on the cross. He did that thousands of years ago, but we live in this time where Jesus has won, but he hasn't completely fully restored everything because he hasn't returned yet. And so we live in light in the hope of this new earth, this new creation where he's going to make everything new, but he hasn't done that yet, but he's already won the victory. Jesus wins all this, but not fully yet. So our bodies then are still subject to death and sin and toil of the fall. But those things don't get the final say. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus does eternally give us rest for our souls. He's saying, yeah, take a break. That's good, right? Apply this in our town, cross that principalizing bridge. You need to rest. You need to take a break. Just don't make a law out of it. But don't make light of this either. Don't burn yourself out. And so in gospel application, we can say this, that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the bread of life. He is the rest for your souls that we long for. There are days, right, if you have a pulse, there are days where all of us feel physically exhausted. I don't care if you do manual labor or not. There's this physical exhaustion. And you could be on vacation and you're just exhausted. I walked way more than I normally do. Why would I walk more than I ever have in my life on vacation? That doesn't make any sense, right? We've all been there. There are days where we come home and we feel spiritually exhausted. We have a friend or a family member, ourselves, who's just dealing with sin. And it's just heavy and it's dark and it's emotionally, or excuse me, it's spiritually draining. And there's times where we're emotionally exhausted. We're just going through it. People are going through life on earth, which is not fun all the time. And we're just emotionally drained. I have this person, this friend, this family member, they just won't stop. I'm tired. And if you're like me, Usually it's all three of those at the same time. Uh, just last night, actually, I was watching uh, Blue Bloods. I know I bring this up way too much. Uh, TV show, cops in New York City, doesn't matter. One of the detectives, though, she says to her uh, partner, she says, do you ever feel like we're not actually even doing anything? Do you feel like we're just wasting our time doing this job as a detective? And last night, my wife and I at the same time go, amen. <laughs> it's, just, it's just sometimes how it feels. I just don't, I don't feel like, what is the point? 
I'm working my fingers down to the bone here. And we have to finish that phrase that we sing all the time, nothing I did could ever atone. The rest that Jesus offers is not about, I'm gonna work and work and work so I can take a nap. Jesus took naps, it's good to take naps. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about rest for my soul. That when my head hits my pillow on my night and I've got a million things going on in my mind, you know what I don't worry about? Am I going to hell? I don't think about that. I have rest eternally for my soul. And I look forward to the day when I get to see Jesus and I will have that physical, emotional, spiritual rest. Right? Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Why? Because someday I'm going to see Jesus face to face. I'm going to look Jesus in the eye and I won't need to have faith anymore. He's right there. I won't need to hope anymore. I can hug him. But love, love will abound forever. And we long for that. But until then, we have rest for our soul. We get to put the head on our pillow and we get to see, wow, this isn't just another story about Jesus. I get to rest eternally for my soul knowing that Jesus has this. He finished it on the cross. And so we get to, like we do every week at Lower Town, have communion. We get to go to these elements on the table and the bread, the bread of Christ, where he says, this is my body, which was broken for you. You take this and you eat this in remembrance of my finished work on the cross. It's finished. Well, I know, but let me do this thing. Let me, let me add this law to my life. Let me take away that law. No, stop it. It's finished. He is the bread of life that takes away the sins of the world. And then we get to drink the juice, which represents his blood that was shed for us to take the wrath that we deserve away from us and that he takes that wrath upon himself that we eternally deserve. But instead of eternal damnation, he gives us eternal rest in him. And so if you're a, a follower of Jesus, if you've bent the knee to Jesus, I would love for you to partake of these elements. Uh, we practice open communion here. You don't need to be a member of this church or any church. But if, you, if you, you say, yep, Jesus is my king, I would love for you to have this meal with us this morning. Uh, worship team's gonna come and they're gonna play two more songs. And so feel free to grab those elements as you see fit. And then we will uh, come back up and we will close. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the Lord of the Sabbath, that you have created Sabbath, not just so we can idolize rest, not just so we can come up with 10 points on how we can rest, but you have sent your son, the Lord of the Sabbath, the creator of the Sabbath, to tell us he can give us rest for our souls the single most important thing that any single one of us could ever do is to find rest in your son and the finished work of his on the cross. His new blood, the new covenant, the new wine that is poured out for us and his body, this bread, that he is the bread of life. So God, we love you. I pray now that as we partake of these elements, that you'd be honored, you'd be glorified, that our hearts would be in a way, in a posture that would be honoring to you, confession of, of sin individually, corporately, as we lift up our voices and as we sing and as we pray and reflect back again to that finished work of you and your son on the cross for our souls. And it's Christ's name we pray, amen.